And um, by the grace of God, Joanna and I have had the privilege of being in quite a few different countries. And everywhere we've been, we've found Gideon Bibles. And we appreciate them. We even, we look when we go into hotel rooms and things. And uh, we find them. So it's a, it's a good work. And particularly in the day in which we live, um, I think it's a tremendous thing to be able to put these in the hands of our children. Uh, our involvement in public schools has been greatly, greatly limited. But the Word of God is not bound. And so if they can get that in the hands of the kids, that's a great step forward. Many of them don't get it at home, and they don't go to church, and it's against the law to give it in school. But if they have a Bible, they can read it for themselves. And so we appreciate the work. Well, thank the Lord. Most all the schools here we're able to get into and distribute God. Amen. That's one of the blessings of living in a community that's um, um, conservative as far as their Christian commitment is concerned. And that's a, it's a tremendous blessing that we don't need to take for granted because many places in our country that does not take place. And there would be opposition if it did. So uh, it's a blessing and thing that we can be grateful for. And we can lift our hearts in praise and thanks to the Lord. So um, Ash Wednesday is coming up here this week. It's, it's the beginning of Lent. And normally what that means is Lent was a time in the early church, 40 days before Easter, that was given over to teaching and instruction for people that were going to be baptized, uh, having accepted Christ as their Savior on Easter Sunday. That's the way it was set up for. It was also a time of preparing the individual's heart to meet um, a new and afresh, the good news of the resurrection of Christ, the death and resurrection. And so it was a, a period, 40 days of fasting, and um, depending on which time period... Um, the fast took on different forms. But it was a time of fasting and preparation. So they call it Ash Wednesday, beginning of, of the Lent season in the church calendar. And they, on Ash Wednesday, they put a, a sign of a cross and ashes on the forehead. The purpose of that is that um, as you go through Scripture, uh, repentance is often associated visually with dust and ashes. If you're familiar with the Middle East, even to the present day, they're very demonstrative. If there is a, uh, um, a grief or a loss in the family, there's loud wailing, tearing of clothes, sometimes the hair or the beard. Um, and it's just a, a total expression of grief and loss. And along the same lines, they felt the same way toward God. When they, were, when they were seeking after God with all their heart, with brokenness and an awareness of their sin, they lamented and literally sat down in dust and ashes, put sackcloth or uh, posacks, what we would call, gunny sacks on as clothing and humbled themselves before God. And that's what all of that represents on Ash Wednesday is us coming as God's people, confessing our sins and as an open sign of repentance um, receiving the, the uh, ashes. And they'll be doing that uh, at the Community Wednesday 
service uh, this Wednesday. For those of us in non-liturgical churches, it can still be a time of drawing close to God. And I would like to invite you to participate in a fast of some kind these 40 days. Now, some people, uh, it can be, doesn't have to be food. Some people have diets or, or health issues that they can't, uh, they can't do that. But everybody can look inside, find something of value that they would like to voluntarily give up for this time period. Now, the focus of the giving up is not the giving up. Uh, the focus of the fast, if you're, if you're choosing to fast one meal or more a day or some favorite thing that uh, is important to you, the focus is not on the denial. And there's two major teachings on fasting in the Old Testament. And I'll, I'm going to tell you the chapters so that you can read them for yourself. Uh, the one that's most familiar is Isaiah 58. And it talks about people fasting in order to make their voice heard by God. And uh, God through Isaiah is challenging that concept. That's not the purpose of the fast, to make your voice heard. God, unlike some of us, is not hard of hearing. <laughs> he hears very well. But he hears the cry of the heart, not just the cry of the mouth. He looks deep inside and sees the deepest longings and desires of the heart. That's what he listens to. So it's not to, to make our voice heard. It's to open our ears so that we can hear him when he speaks. I promise you, one word from God is worth 10,000 of words from you or I. God's word gives life. It's transformative. It's creative. It's empowering and enabling. And it changes us. So... God says through Isaiah, it's not, it's not the time to call attention to yourself. It's not the time of majoring on the negative things. And he says, this is what God's chosen fast is. And then he starts talking about very practical personal relationships. And so he says, we seek God by getting our hearts right with him first and then getting our hearts right with each other. And if we fail to do that part, we failed in the whole thing. And so that's what this time period is for. So whatever time or whatever thing you deny yourself, the focus is so that you can take that time or that money or that whatever it is and in place of that, consciously, intentionally, turn your heart to God. So if, I'm, if I say I'm not going to eat lunch today, and then go about my business, that hadn't helped anybody. hadn't helped me either, except maybe a little late. But um, that's not the purpose of the fast. So the purpose of the fast is if I'm not going to eat, then what am I going to do with that time? And that's time for me to pray and open my heart to seek after God and hear what God has to say to me. I think it's like the psalmist David who said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way and literally any un ungodly habits, bad habits in my life. That's what David is asking. And so that's the season of Lent is a time for God's people to do that. God, I want you to search my heart because I know where to look and I know where to, uh, well, I can overlook that, but God doesn't overlook anything. 
And so he looks at our heart. Zechariah chapter 7 is the other major teaching on fasting. And you could go ahead and, and read chapter 8 along with that. But at least chapter 7. And in chapter 7, they're coming back from exile. They've been 70 years in Babylon because of their sin as a judgment from God. That's why they were there. Now they're coming back and all during that 70 years there were days of fasting and prayer. They would fast over the, when, the, when Jerusalem fell. They would fast when the temple was destroyed. They would have these different fasts throughout the year commemorating those historical events. And so in Zechariah 7, the elders and everybody who had come back, they sent a group to, to um, the prophets and the priests and they said, look... We've been praying because of the destruction of Jerusalem and all of that. Now we're rebuilding. Uh, should we keep up the fast? It's a good question. God's response was this. When you fasted all those years, was it really for me that you were fasting? That's a good question. And so as his children, as we commit to intentionally setting aside time and resources to earnestly seek after God during this 40 days. That's the question I hope each of us keeps in mind. Why am I doing this? Am I doing it so I can get something out of it? Or is this an offering to God to see what God will say to me? So he's asking these kinds of things. So God was concerned because... Um, in Isaiah 58, their focus was on themselves instead of upon God. And oftentimes our religious activities is really a focus on ourself. So this is why Jesus told the people in his day, be careful how you perform your religious activities. Uh, do we only pray in public when we're called upon to pray? What about our private life? What about our daily life? Um, do we do things outwardly? Uh, what about our worship? Is this the only time that we worship? When we're in Sunday morning? Is that the only time that we set aside time to worship, to praise, to give thanks and glory and honor to God? Uh, is it for to be seen? Or is it the expression of a living relationship with God? Now that's the question God's asking. And we can make all kinds of religious activities, but it's the relationship that's important. For example, um, as we read not only Isaiah 58, but Zechariah 7, they're both very, very consistent. And they're saying the focus is on the positive things and not on the negative. What you are actively participating in to help your neighbor. Uh, to be more effective in your home, to be a, um, a better employee or a better employer, depending on where you are, to be more concerned about the needs of others than we are self. It's setting aside ourself to bring glory and honor to God. And so it's, it's the positive result of having heard from God. That's where God places the emphasis. In Matthew 16... This is um, the account of Caesarea Philippi. That's a retreat center. Uh, it's the headwaters of the Jordan River. And Jesus went there uh, after John the Baptist had been arrested. He went there with his disciples 
so they could get alone in a beautiful, quiet place and spend some time together. It was an intentional thing that Jesus did. It's something that, as Christian people, would be an important thing that we do. Set aside a time, not just as a holiday, but set aside a time as a holiday, but use the time to be seeking after the Lord. Doesn't have to be long. Uh, God is looking for people. And the reason many of us don't hear from God is because we shut him out by our activity, by the noise, by the, by the technology that's around us all the time, where you cannot get away to find some silence. And I want to tell you, as people made in the image of God, we need times of silence so that we can see what's going on inside and we can hear from God. So Jesus has the disciples there in Matthew 16 and he he starts asking them, who do people say I am? I thought it was in, in... very important. Jacob was sharing with us, sharing with these Muslims, imams, and sheikhs, 25 at a time for four hours at a time. And the sheikhs choose the topic of discussion every time. The topic of discussion is, who is Jesus? That's what these Muslim leaders want to talk about. Uh, what do we talk about? So Jesus asked the disciples, what are people saying? And they tell him the different answers. And the Holy Spirit speaks directly to Peter and through him as the spokesman. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you are blessed because you didn't figure this out by yourself. The Holy Spirit showed you this. That's a tremendous thing. The very next thing. Jesus began for the first time, once they knew who he was, that's when he began to tell them he's going to suffer and die on the cross. The whole meaning of Easter season, the whole meaning of Lent. And the very next thing out of Peter's mouth is, no, no, Lord, not, you don't have to die. Not, no, no, don't have to suffer like that, no. And Jesus looks at him and he says, get behind me, Satan. You haven't in mind the things of man and not the things of God. That's what you want, Peter. That's not what God wants. And so it's the same man. It's the same mouth. It's the same heart that's speaking. Once he's inspired by God and the very next minute he's inspired by the devil himself. And so that's what we face every day, isn't it? choices about who we're going to listen to and who's going to motivate and control our actions our attitudes are we focusing in on self and what I want and remember idolatry the word idolatry begins with I there's a reason for that because that's where all idolatry starts right here so We have two doors. And there's a sign. What I want. And there's a lot of space there and all of that. You all can't see that, but there's a row of chairs over here. And so it's very narrow. And that one says, what God wants. There was a book um, 
called Haunted Mesa by Louis L'Amour. It's not a Western. And um, in this book, Haunted Mesa, there's a parallel universe which this guy gets involved in. And in this parallel universe, it's a wicked, evil place. And they have uh, the capital is this maze, um, kind of like, um, you know, um, in the ancient world, um, the, Minot the Minotaur and the maze there. It was, it's this maze, a city that's mazed. And they had this, these halls with doors. And you open the door and it's totally dark in there. You cannot see impenetrable <coughs> darkness. And one door leads to the way out. And you never know until you step into that door and the door closes whether you're in the right room. <coughs> unless you know, unless you're in the know. So if you step in and it's the wrong room, the floor drops, and then you go to horrible things happen to you. <laughs> in every room except the right one, and you never know until you go in and close the door. Life is like that, isn't it? We're faced with a lot of decisions and opportunities, and we walk through that door, and we are not guaranteed one way or the other where that road's going to end. Except what I want, once you get inside and you turn around and see what the other side says, that's where you end up. If I live my life going my own way, choosing what pleases me, what I want, this is where I'll end up. And there are no exceptions. Now this one's a little more difficult to get to. You got some obstacles in the way? You're not an obstacle. <laughs> and it's kind of narrow here and only one person at a time. But if I choose to do what God wants for my life, this is where I'll end up. Now it doesn't mean that this way is easy. There are obstacles. And it may be costly. But if I choose what God wants... This is where he'll lead me. Now, we make these kind of choices every day. And this is what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the broad way and the narrow way. And we choose. We choose daily, sometimes almost hourly. So the focus is not on the negative. It's not on I. We focus on I, we're in trouble. And that's where most of the sin begins. And what happens, what's important is not so much what happens to us because we live in a sinful world. And sometimes we become victims of other people's sin. It happens all the time in homes and families, in, in the workplace, um, just in society at large. We become victims of other people's sin. So what happens to the Christian and the non-Christian, the event that takes place could be exactly the same. The difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is how we respond to that circumstance, that situation. That's the difference. And that's where the witness takes place, isn't it? God never promised to keep us from suffering. What Jesus said was, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to deny yourself. That's we don't want to hear that today. 
Now you read through the Gospels and then look through um, the letters of Paul. And when he's writing to young pastors, he's telling Timothy, teach the old men to be self-controlled. Teach the young men to be self-controlled. Teach the older women to teach the younger women to be self-controlled. Read it. Every one of them, every age group, self-control. And what do we hear today? (laughs) Self-indulgence. You owe it to yourself. Go on, you deserve it. So when we focus in on self, then we're in trouble. When we focus in, even in our quest to God, on the negative, oh, look what it's going to cost me. It's because you don't know the promise that he's given. It's like a a child in a ghetto playing with mud pies because he can't imagine a day in the park or at the beach. And so we become satisfied with too little and our expectations from God are way too small. So we don't have to be afraid. Paul says that God is the one who can give us exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. And so the problem is our understanding of God is too small. Because our understanding of God is small, we're fearful, we're jealous, we're vindictive, um, we're rebellious because we don't understand who God is and that God loves us. So the purpose of the fasting is to intentionally draw closer to God. So let me give you some examples of the kinds of fast that all of us can participate in and let me challenge you to pick one or all of the above. You've heard some of this before. Number one, for this 40 days, refuse to be offended. Regardless of the intent of the other person, you refuse to take up the offense. Secondly, We can do what scripture has told us, both Old and New Testament. We bless instead of curse. Other people may curse us. Our response to that person is blessing. Do it for 40 days and your life will be transformed and maybe a bunch of others too. You bless when you are cursed. So we're not talking about the other person. We're talking about you and I, our response. Refuse to be offended. We bless instead of curse. And the third one is from Proverbs 4.23. Guard your hearts. That's your attitude. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So for the next 40 days, that means we guard our heart. Now this is important Because where your heart is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, right? Where your treasure is, what you value the most, that's where your heart is. We choose where to give our heart, whether it's to a person or to a thing or to an event, we choose where to give our heart. 
This is where addictions come from because we've chosen to give our heart to whatever it is and then it controls us. And we don't have a choice anymore. But we've chosen somewhere to give our heart to that particular thing. So this is why the Proverbs, part of the wisdom literature says, guard your heart. Be careful what you allow in your life, in your mind, in your soul, in your spirit. And this is why we're refusing to be offended we're blessing instead of cursing because we're putting the Lord Jesus Christ there instead of what I want or how it affects me. Now, most of us make decisions. I do. I make most of my decisions on how it affects me. And that's not a good, that's not a good thing. We should be saying, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? How can I walk pleasing to you so we keep our eyes focused on Jesus Um, most of us suffer from curvature of the spine because we're how does it affect me I'm okay here (laughs) and so God is asking us to lift our eyes from self to him and when we see him as he is then we begin to see ourselves for who we are And then we begin to look at other people through his eyes. Having done that, we're not offended anymore. Jesus took the offense for you and for me. We don't have to justify ourselves. He is our vindication. We don't have to curse or take revenge or vengeance or make the other people pay because God says "That's that's not up to you. That's up to God. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. It's not up to you or to me. So when we try to do that ourselves, we're playing God. We do it ourselves because we don't trust God to do it right. And we're putting, we're making ourselves the judge and jury. So Jesus tells us plainly, If you want to do it that way, you can. But I'm going to judge you in the exact same way you judge anyone else. With the exact same standard. So, by your words, you will be judged. By your attitudes, you will be judged. By your actions towards others, you will be judged with your your standard. And so, I don't know about you... When I think of standing before the Lord, I'm asking for mercy, not justice. I don't want justice. I know what I deserve. What I want is mercy. And God in his grace says, that's my heart for you. I want to give you that mercy. But in the same way that you give to others, you will receive. Now we pray that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, don't we? It's a dangerous prayer if we understand what we're saying. Those of us who haven't taught since we were small, we know it by heart and we can rattle it off. But I tell you what, we need to be careful what we say. Lord, forgive me this day my sins and my trespasses as I forgive those who've trespassed against me. Wow, that's a powerful prayer. God hears that prayer. God hears that prayer and will answer that prayer. 
So as we come before the Lord, um, let's focus our eyes upon him. I want to, to challenge each of us to uh, pick up this kind of fasting. If you want to add the food or anything else, that's between you and God. But this is something that each of us can do in the grace of God. Refuse to be offended. Bless instead of curse. Guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for your faithfulness and mercy to us. And we're thankful, Lord, that this is what the cross is all about. We know that these kinds of things that we're talking about, we cannot do by ourselves. It's not within us. It's not within me. And so what that means is, Lord, we have to lean upon you strongly. We have to look to you to change that, to change that thing within us that gets hurt so easily or that wallows in self-pity, that gives sorrow because we're caught instead of true repentance because there's a change. Lord, forgive us, cleanse us, heal us from these things that we might walk before you as your children. Thank you, Lord, that you invited us to bless instead of curse that we might be your sons and daughters because your blessing has been upon us even before we ever desired not to curse and yet your hand of it was upon us. Help us to be your sons and daughters. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. In our church, we have communion every Sunday because we need it. We need the reminder. We need the opportunity to come before the Lord and renew our commitment to him and, and remind ourselves of what he has done for us. Uh, we believe in open communion. And what that means is if you're a visitor, you're welcome to participate because the invitation comes from Christ himself. And those men that took part in that um, first time in the upper room when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, every one of those men were sinners. And every one of them before that morning the sun shone were going to run away and deny that they knew him. Some of them swear, like Peter, swear with an oath that he ever, never even knew this man. And knowing that, Jesus invited them to come. So we're all sinners by grace. This is an open table. The invitation comes from Christ, not from us or, or this church. You're welcome here. Um, don't feel pressured to come. Uh, this is between you and the Lord. If you want to come, you're welcome. Also, uh, over here, there'll be somebody who would be willing to pray with you. If there's anything that you want to pray about, they'll be there to pray with you if you want to do that. So we just want you to know that you're welcome here. So we do this in remembrance of what Christ did for us, knowing that as we celebrate Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In one sense, it's a source of sorrow because we know that it's my sin that was the reason he had to die. On the other hand, it's a tremendous celebration and thanksgiving because it says that God loved us, loved me, loved you enough to do this for us. Uh, he who had no sin, he takes yours, he takes mine upon himself. He becomes what we are so that we can become what he is child of God so he invites us to come on the night that he was betrayed Jesus took bread and after he had given thanks he broke it 
And he gave it to his disciples saying, each of you take of this bread. This bread is my body. It's broken for you. After supper, he took the cup. After he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, each of you drink of this cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you. It's for the forgiveness of sins. It's for the healing of the soul and the spirit as well as the body. And he invites us to come and to participate. So will those who are serving communion please come forward?